Welcome to Convention Pulpit, Wesleyan Voices, Past and Present. Brought to you through the Ministry of Inner Church Holiness Convention, www.ihconvention.com. The sermon on today's podcast is by L.W. Barbie, and it was preached decades ago. It's titled, Quit Playing Church. I know you'll enjoy this message. sitting for a while, I think it will rest you for you to stand while I read the scripture lesson. I don't want you to go to sleep as I try to preach, but if you should, I have nobody to blame but myself, I ought to keep you awake. I suppose all of you Bible readers have already discovered for yourselves that many times when you are reading the scriptures, if you stop at the end of certain chapters, it's not always true with all of them, but certain portions of scripture, certain chapters, if you fail to go on into the next chapter, the continuity of thought is very much disrupted, and you fail to get the lesson. Now, I think that is very, very true relative to the first two chapters of the book of Hebrews. If you cease reading when you got to the end of chapter 1 and fail to go on into chapter 2 for two or three verses, you do not really get the lesson that God wants us to have. So I am going to read chapter 1, and then without stopping, I want to go on into... Chapter 2, and read at least three verses. God, who at sundry times and in divers manners spoke in time past unto the fathers by the prophets, hath in these last days spoken unto us by his Son, whom he hath appointed heir of all things, by whom also he made the world who being the brightness of his glory and the express image of his person and upholding all things by the word of his power, when he had by himself purged our sins, sat down the right hand of the majesty on high, being made so much better than the angels as he hath by inheritance obtained a more excellent name than they. For under which of the angels said he at any time, Thou art my son? This day have I begotten thee, and again I will be to him a father, and he shall be to me a son. And again, when he bringeth in the first begotten into the world, he saith, Let all the angels of God worship him. And of the angels he saith, Who maketh his angels spirits and his ministers a flame of fire. But unto the Son he saith, Thy throne, O God, is forever and ever. A scepter of righteousness is a scepter of thy kingdom. Thou hast loved the righteousness and hated iniquity. Therefore God, even thy God, hath anointed thee with the oil of gladness above thy fellows. And thou, Lord, in the beginning hast laid the foundation of the earth and the heavens the works of thine hands. They shall perish, but thou remainest. And they also wax old as doth a garment, and as a vesture shalt thou fold them up, and they shall be changed. But thou art the same, and thy years shall not fail. 
But to which of the angels said he at any time, Sit on my right hand until I make thine enemies thy footstool? Are they not all ministering spirits sent forth to minister for them who shall be heirs of salvation? Therefore, we ought to give the more earnest heed to the things which we have heard, lest at any time we should let them slip. For if the word spoken by angels was steadfast, and every transgression and disobedience received a just recompense of reward, how shall we escape? If we neglect so great salvation, which at the first began to be spoken by the Lord and was confirmed unto us by them that heard him. Our Heavenly Father, we bow very humbly, just as humbly as we know how in thy presence. We thank thee for the blessings divine that have rested upon the camp meeting thus far. We praise thee for thy presence that we have sensed in this evening's service. We thank thee for thy blessings that rested upon the receiving and the giving of the special offering. Now, Lord, as we come to this part of this Monday evening service, thou dost know the speak of the hour feels his utter dependence. I feel, Father, I am totally inadequate within my own resources. I come pleading the merits of Jesus' precious blood that God the Holy Ghost will move in upon us tonight. For we recognize that man may accomplish a lot of things without special help from God if God permits him to do so. But in this kind of endeavor, it's not by might nor by power, but by my spirit, saith the Lord of hosts. So give thine unworthy, limited inadequate servant, that mighty endowment and endowment of the anointing and the undergirding of the Holy Ghost, that by the help of thy Holy Spirit will be able to say something tonight that will cause someone to feel a spirit of urgency upon them to do something about their spiritual need before it's everlastingly too late. We'll give thee the praise and the honor and the glory. For we ask it in Jesus' precious name. Amen. You may be seated. I am lifting for special emphasis tonight, a special text, that first verse of chapter 2. For emphasis, please let me repeat that. Therefore we... Surely that means us who are right here tonight. We ought to give a more earnest heed to the things which we have heard, lest at any time we should let them slip. And in one sense, I think the inspired writer is saying, quit playing church and really get down to serious business, this matter of preparation to meet God. I do not know of any passage of Scripture of like length and size that gives us more blessed information about Jesus in his nature and offices and functions than this first chapter of the book of Hebrews. Now, if I am wrong, you theologians and Bible scholars, you correct me. I don't mean now, but later you correct me. 
I have not found a passage of Scripture of like length that gives us any more blessed revelation about the ministry and the functions and offices of the work of Jesus any more than this chapter that I have just read in your hearing. For the first chapter of Hebrews presents Jesus Christ as being superior to angels and prophets and their ministry. And in this chapter, he is described as being the appointed heir of all things. Now, maybe some of you right now thinking of another verse of Scripture that comes to your mind that says that we Christians are heirs of God and joint heirs with him. There's some people who right away that say, now there's your contradiction. Here's a scripture that says, he's the heir of all things. And then another scripture says, we are joined as with him. That's not a contradiction, but I'll tell you what it is. It's a very blessed truth. You see, heaven's wealth is so great. Heaven's wealth is so great that our blessed Redeemer in God's bright tomorrow is going to sit down in the heavenly kingdom and he's going to divide the vast wealth of heaven with you and me. Praise God, I'm glad I belong to the family. <laughs> Amen. That's enough to get you on the praise committee if you can get there. I wonder how many, how long has been some of, since some of you people's on the praise committee. Amen. Thank God I'll tell you how much you're on with him. He's going to divide heaven's wealth with me. And I'll tell you something else blesses me. There have been people who have been willed great wealth and they never did get it. Through hook or crook, someone broke the will and took it away from them. Or maybe the person gave himself to speculation and lost the wealth. No wealth to leave. But I've got the assurance, according to the word of God, this wealth that has been provided for you and me, our inheritance, the same power that's keeping that wealth for me is keeping me for that wealth. That ought to put you on the praise committee. I don't think I'm going to lose it. Praise God. I don't have any stock on Wall Street at all. I've got a little on Gold Street. Wall Street stock goes up and down and up and down. That doesn't disturb me except I'm concerned about the economy. But say I've got stock in Gold Street and it's never going down. It goes up and up and up and up and up and up and up. Amen. I'm a child of the king. <laughs> you say, well, you may be, but you don't look so great. Well, I know it. I have a twin brother. And some people say, you have a twin? I said, yes, you think one person would be this ugly? It took two of us. <laughs> oh, I know I don't look so great, but I'll tell you what I want you to do. Wait till the morning of the first resurrection. Take another look at me. God's going to put the finishing touches on me. I believe you, some of you folks look a little better then, too. Don't look at me like that. <laughs> Grinning like cats back there. Say, yeah, Barbie. That, oh, that's true concerning you, too. You haven't won a beauty contest. <laughs> Are you still here with me? Yes, he's described in this chapter as being the creator 
of all the worlds. Hallelujah. <laughs> Created me too. Praise God, I didn't come from monkeys. Maybe I better not argue that point too well since I look one like so much, but <laughs> I might lose my argument. I asked my wife one day, was she kin to monkeys? You know, just teasing. She looked at me. She said, yes, I am by marriage. Were you ever put in the shade by your wife like that? The creator of the world. He is described in this chapter as being the brightness of God's eternal glory. He's described as being the one who upholds all things, not just part, but all things by the power of his word or the word of his power. You know, when I read that, I think, oh, God, have mercy on us poor puny souls. We whine and cry and we chafe our little problems and our little burdens. I'll tell you, if my God and my Savior upholds all things by the power of his word, he can take care of my little burdens. Hallelujah. He can take care of my little problems. Well, this is kind of getting off the track here, but did you know we're serving a mountain-moving God? Amen. If you don't, if you doubt that, you just read over there one of those visions that God gave his servant Zechariah. After he had laid the foundation of the uh, building the temple, you know, the foundation stones and opposition arose. And opposition was so great, why God's servant uh, Zerubbabel became discouraged. God gave Zechariah the message to give to Zerubbabel. He said, in other words, I've got a servant that's discouraged because of opposition. I want you to go tell him that just as sure as he's laid the foundation stone, he's going to bring forth the headstone, thereof a shouting, crying, grace, grace unto it. In other words, I'm going to take that mountain of opposition out of the way and there's going to be a plane there instead. I don't know how much encouragement that is to you, but that has been an encouragement to me. Thank God we're serving a mountain-moving God. Now, now, the fact is, we most of us don't have mountains. We just have molehills. How many of you folks out here know what I'm talking about when I say a molehill, will you raise your hand? Well, you've seen them, you know, out there in the garden. I'll tell you, they can play havoc with your lawn, you know. That little animal, you know, just bears down in there, and you can see the ridge, you know, where the mole has been. Well, all most of us have is molehills. But I'll tell you what happens. When we have a molehill, the old devil, you know, he, he's quite a fella. He, he grabs one of his big magnifying glasses and puts it between us and the molehill. Ah, look what I've got to face. Scares us half to death. And it's nothing but a mole here. But you know, Brother Miller, what really blesses me, if God can uh, take care of mountains and he can, I don't need to worry about my molehills. Hallelujah. Glory to God forever. Bless his name. He upholds all things by the word of his power. He's described in this chapter as being the one who purged us by himself. He needed not the help of another. By himself, he purged us from our sins. He's described in this chapter as being the one who sits at the right hand of the majesty on high. The one who is better than the angels. The one who was given a more excellent name than the angels. And the one who is worshipped by the great angelic host of heaven. He is described in this chapter as being the one whose throne is forever and forever. I'll tell you, that's shouting ground for me. Thank God we can depend on it. In our own lifetime, kingdoms have risen and kingdoms have fallen. 
Why it's happened so with such frequency? Why you can uh, you can uh, uh, pick up the newspaper and my just every few months and there's some kingdom that's collapsed. It's so frequent. But thank God I want to tell you tonight there's one kingdom that's not going to topple. <laughs> Whoa, glory to God. There's one kingdom that's not going to topple. His throne is forever and forever. I'm glad I'm one of his subjects. Thank God. He is described in this chapter as the one whose kingdom is ruled with a scepter of righteousness. Thank God there's no water gates in this kingdom. Amen. I, I was almost expecting the Republicans to have a real spell there. Well, you don't have anything to have a spell over either. Amen. No water gates in this kingdom. No law key scandals in this kingdom. Amen. Thank God it's ruled with a scepter of righteousness. He is described in this chapter as being the one who loved righteousness and hated iniquity. I want you to get that if you don't get anything else in this little introduction. He loved the righteousness and hated iniquity. You know, my friends, those two always go together. You can't separate them. You cannot love righteousness without hating iniquity. And you cannot hate iniquity without loving righteousness. But let me tell you, we've got a great host of people and some of them in holiness pews today that are trying to love righteousness without having a hatred for iniquity. And that's just about like a bird trying to fly with one wing. When I was a lad, we had a chicken farm down in Alabama. My brother that was uh, I lived with, it was a father to me after my father died. And there were white leggings. Anybody know about, anything about white leggings? Chickens? Let me tell you, you're going to have to build a fence pretty high for those birds. Or either you've got to clip one of the wings. You don't have to clip both of them, just one's enough. You just clip one wing, that old fellow try to get over the fence, he may uh, lose a feather or two, and he may make a little noise of flapping that one wing, you know, and he may stir up a little dust, but he's not going anywhere because he's going to stay on the ground if one wing's clipped. And if you try to love a righteous without hating iniquity and vice versa, you'll not get off of the ground. They always go together. You hear me? Oh, I wish I had the gracious personality that my precious brother Taylor has. You know, I like that. Come, come, my friends. Come, come. I'll tell you, you know, if I'd have thought about that, you know, uh, uh, before you got a hold of it, I think I'd dump that. Come, come, my friends. Come, come. I'm not making fun, brother. I like that. Don't you? I reckon since I'm Barbie and not Taylor, I'll have to come on, you hard-headed folks. Listen to me. Yes, he's described in this chapter as being the one who changes not, and thank God he fails not. I've learned in my lifetime of nearly 67 years, a lot of people change, a lot of people you can't depend on, but thank God you can't say that about my Savior. Hallelujah. He fails not, and thank God he changes not. The same yesterday, today, and forever. Woo! Glory to God for glory to Jesus. Hallelujah. Praise God forever. He said, what you doing? I'm having me a running spell without going anywhere. Glory to God forever. Hallelujah. Amen. Glory to Jesus forever. 
Say, well, I'll tell you, I, I'm discouraged because so many people fail you and disappoint you. I know that. I've lived long enough to find that out, but thank God Jesus never disappoints you. Jesus Christ never fails you. Hallelujah to heaven's land. Glory be to God forever. A little bit more, I'm going to leave the launch pad. Glory to God. Oh, I know some of you people don't understand that language. You're still in the hangar. You know what I've been anxious to see? I don't mean any whipping up something, you know. Oh, no, God forbid. I'd like to see a few more services where some saints of God so on fire that when they come in, they're like a spiritual bomb with a short fuse and it lit. I'll tell you one thing. People like that are pretty good preaching out of a poor preacher. I've preached to some congregations. They're so dead, they could kill a good message if they were hearing one. But look the way they look at you. And finally, in this chapter that tells us so much about Jesus, he is described as being the one who shall someday triumph over all of his enemies and all of our enemies. Hallelujah. <laughs> Praise God. I would to God I could shout that so loud it would just echo down the corridors of hell itself. Don't you, brother? Say, say, do you have any doubt how this thing's going to end? Well, I can set you straight if you just listen to me a minute. Some people, you know, my, my, I don't know what we're going to do. Praise God, it matters not with me whether there's going to be a hydrogen. Oh, it matters, and I, and I don't want anyone to be destroyed or the world to be destroyed. But as far as my assurance and as far as my worrying is concerned, thank God, whatever comes and whatever eventuality, thank God the saving and sanctifying grace of God's got me fixed up, and it just doesn't matter. Praise God to whether I uh, go to heaven in a plane crash or a crash on the highway or have to take down with some kind of a terrible disease like cancer. It just doesn't matter. Thank God I know what direction I'm going in. That's what matters. Woo! Glory to God forever. Hallelujah. You say, preacher, I thought you had bursitis and arthritis. I do, but it's not bothering me right now. Jesus. Say amen. I thank the rest of you for your kind attention. Well, some of them wouldn't say amen for you to save their lives, hardly. Now, as I can tell you how this thing's going to end, my Savior's going to triumph over all. You know, it's interesting. Study history, you know, the progress of history in our own country. Well, go back in ancient times too. But, you know, in our own country, these egotistical, atheistic uh, people, you know, my, they could cut on, come on the scene, you know, and uh, they act like they're going to put on a show. That's been that way all over the world, like Hitler and Mussolini and Stalin and uh, egotistical, atheistic rulers. They come on the scene as, oh, I'm going to just bottle up the world now. Everything's going to be mine. I've got the world with a downhill drag, and I, I, I'm going to put on a show. Why, God hasn't let them put on the show yet, and he's not going to. You, Brother Peyton, you know what God used those uh, braggadocious, egotistical, atheistic rulers for? Every one of them. Stage boys. 
I don't know a lot about the theatrical world. I used to be wrapped up in that kind of stuff, but thank God the Lord saved me from the whole mess. But there's a lot of difference in the stage boys that shoves the furniture around and gets ready for the star. A lot of difference in that bunch of stage boys and the person's going to come on and put on the drama. And God has used these atheistic rulers of earth overseas in our own country just setting the stage. And when he gets through, you know, after they move a little furniture around, and the Lord says, that's enough, bud. You get off and then another comes, you know. He thinks he's going to put on the show. He shows the furniture around a little bit, you know, getting the stage all set. And then comes, that's enough, boy. And one of these days, thank God, the curtain of the sky is going to roll back. And Jesus Christ, the Savior of the world, is coming. Thank God. And he's going to put on a drama of the ages. Hallelujah to the Lord. Glory be to God. I'm so glad I paid the price back then. I got a ringside seat to see the drama. Woo! Glory to God. Hey Amen. Don't sympathize with me. Bless God. I belong to royalty. Amen. God bless you, brother. You just don't know how my heart went out of such love for you. You know, I would that God would raise up some people of the caliber of men like this. Uh, one of these days, well, hope Lord leave, leave me a long time. One of these days we'll know Jesus carries her along. Our brother will be up yonder. But who's here to take up his place with a caliber, spiritual and otherwise? Oh, I'm so glad. Thank God, my friends. We have a triumphant Savior. Well, you can see that all in the scriptures, illustrated time and time again. I think about that vision I believe it's in the second chapter of Daniel, where this big, you know, uh, image made of gold and brass and iron and wood and so on and uh, clay, and then there was that stone hewn out of the mountain without hands. Did you hear that? It was hewn out without hands. And it rolled down and struck that image and just smashed it to smithereens until what was left was just carried away like chaff is carried by the wind. There was nothing left of it. But that stone grew to be an exceeding high mountain that filled all the... You know, you don't have to be a real scholar to see what that means. Oh, I'll tell you, the kingdoms of the world can marshal themselves against my Christ. But thank God, Jesus Christ is that stone hewn out of the mountain without hands. Without, he was hewn out of the mountain, that's his humanity. Hewn out without hands, that's his divinity. Thank God. And one of these days, he's going to come and he's going to take charge. I want to tell you again, folks, I'm glad I'm his child. Glory to God. I'll have to get on. I'll just kind of get through the introduction. I'll prove that I am long-winded. After giving this vivid description of Jesus, his offices and functions, how he is superior to angels and prophets and their messages, then he goes right into chapter 2 and tells us in verse 1 that we have been given the word not just of angels and prophets, but we have been given the angels of that superior one, Jesus Christ's word, the words of the Savior, his gospel. And when, after telling us that, he goes into the fact of a tremendous responsibility this hours of giving the more earnest heed. Others quit playing church. I'm not a pessimist. Thank God for better than 46 years I've lived on the bright, sunny, hallelujah side. But I'll tell you, I'm afraid we've got a lot of blind optimists today. Friends, you hear me? We've got a lot of blind optimists today. Yes, we are. God help us. 
he tells us we have a tremendous responsibility and we face a great danger. Listen to the verse, will you, again? We ought to give the more earnest heed to the things which have heard. In other words, quit playing church and get down to serious business about it. Lest at any time we should let that word slip. I'd like to briefly give you three versions of that verse. I was reading to you from the King James Version. And if I had to be limited to one version, you could take all the rest of them and give me the King James. Amen. If I had to sacrifice the King James, I'd say, you take the rest of them and give me that one. The King James Version says, lest at any time we should let them slip. The marginal reading states it a little differently. The marginal reading says, lest at any time we should run out as leaking vessels. While the Amplified New Testament states it still just a little different, different from those. The Amplified New Testament says, lest at any time we should drift past them and pass away. Now, my friends, while these versions are stated and worded a little differently, one from the other, at the same time, all three versions are striking at the very same subtle danger. Let me have a book back here. Let me illustrate something. That's all I just want to If we were going to base our argument tonight on that first version, the King James Version, lest at any time we should let them slip. What would the inspired writer be trying to get across to the Hebrew Christians? I submit to you, sir, a man, he would be saying to them, I'm not so much afraid you Hebrew Christians are going to willfully, maliciously, knowingly just take the things of God and fling them from you. You follow me? He was saying, I'm not so much afraid that you will do that. But he was saying, I'm afraid if you are not very careful, Hebrew Christians that you are going to hold a hold of things with such a loose grasp, such a loose grasp, that before you hardly realize what's happened, a least little provocation of jar from the devil, and you let it slip. Now, friends, that's what I'm afraid of. And that's what you had better be afraid of. Now, I know a person has no guarantee that he won't go back into the deepest sin after he's been saved. I'm just going to tell you how I feel about it. Because I know the Bible says, he that thinketh he standeth, let him take heed lest he fall. I was saved out of deep sin, smoking, gambling, drinking, and uh, just living a wild life until I reached the age of 20. But you know, since God has saved me and I appreciate the things of God so much, I'm not so much afraid that I'd ever go back to smoking, drinking, carousing, stealing, hoboing, bootlegging. I'm not afraid that I'll do that. But I'll tell you, I'm afraid if Barbie's not very careful and very prayerful, I'll let those, I'll hold hold of things with such a loose grasp that before I hardly realize what's happened, they'll slip. I want to tell you tonight, if they slip, hear me, if they slip, they're gone from you just as much as if you had thrown them away. That's where a lot of our people are in holiness camp meetings today. They haven't willfully taken hold of things and thrown them away. But something's happened. They've let holy things slip. You know, it's easy to let the word slip. I'm talking to some people who were here at last camp meeting 
when one of the ministers under the anointing of God preached a truth that gripped your heart. It stirred you. It shook you. And you left saying, oh, I've got to do something about that. It made you feel that way. That was a real resolve born within your heart. I must do something about it. But you left camp meeting and you never did put it into practice. You never did carry through with it. And later, you could recall what the preacher said. You could recall the very verse of scripture that stirred your heart, but now it has no effect on you. It did back there then, but now it has no effect. What's happened? You let it slip. It has slipped from your soul. Let's look at the other version, the next one. Lest at any time we should run out as leaking vessels. What would the inspired writer be saying to the Hebrew Christians with that version? Basing, basing our whole argument on that, he would be saying, I'm not so much afraid that you Hebrew Christians will take a hold of yourself like a person could take a vessel filled with some kind of liquid and willfully, knowing when maliciously, turn it up until the last of the contents run out. I'm not so much afraid that you would do that, he was saying, but I'm afraid that you're going to be like a leaking vessel. And... It will leave your soul slowly, almost imperceptibly, and it'll be gone before you realize it. That's what's happened to a lot of our... And see, there are people here tonight in that very process. You're right now in the process of letting this glorious deposit of divine grace leak out of your soul. Now, I am convinced personally that most backsliding is not just a leap from light to utter darkness. What about it, brethren? That's my conviction. Most backsliding is not a bang on the mountaintop today and then just plunging into sin tomorrow. No, it's a gradual process. Cooling off, letting up here, rounding the corner there, letting up here by degrees. I could take a 10, a 12 pail, a 12 uh, quart pail, fill it with some kind of liquid, start across the community down the street with it. That could be a little tiny hole a hole so small in the bottom of that pail. It'd just be a fast drip. I was going down the street with that pail in that condition. Did you know? I could lose maybe half of it before I realized anything had happened because it's done so slowly. That's where we are. People have been caught into this thing. They didn't plan it that way. They didn't want it that way. They didn't intend for it to be that way. But there's something's happened to their soul and they'll become like a leaking vessel. What about this last version? So less than a time we should drift past them and pass away. He was saying by that version, I'm not so much afraid you Hebrew Christians will willfully, knowingly take the hold of the oars as it were and with all of your might and strength pull away from the things of God, pull away from heavenly things and heavenly values and verities. I'm not so much afraid you do that, he was saying. But what I'm afraid of is you are going to keep your hands off of the oars. You are going to be, you lose your anchorage, swept off a base, and put out there drifting. Let me tell you, folks, this is a real danger. Surely I don't have to spend a lot of my strength and time to convince you that if you've got one spiritual eye just half open. If you know the situation as it is compared to what it was a few years ago, you know God have mercy on us. We have been caught in a terrible drift. 
And I'll tell you what scares me, brethren. I can, I can call to mind tonight, I won't mention names, but men that we used to stand just like that against the same wickedness and against the th same things of the world. They're still professing. They're still carrying on. But, oh, there's been a tragic change in them. Let me tell you, if they were caught in the drift, if I'm not careful, I'll get caught in the drift. If they got caught in the drift, I never thought they would go that way, but something happened to them. God help us tonight. That's the thing I'm afraid of, drifting, 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 drifting with the tide. Well, you say, Brother Barbie, we're living in such times of moral upheavals and spiritual moral transitions and so on. Is there anything a person can do about drifting? Well, I want to encourage you before I go whatever. Thank God we don't have to drift. <laughs> I'm so glad, thank God, we have an anchor steadfast and so an anchor within the veil, thank God. If you'll get a hold of it, let it get a good tight grip on you, you don't have to drift. Well, listen to me, please. If we're not going to be caught in the drift, and oh, I do want the young people. Will you please listen to this preacher tonight? I love young people. And I'll tell you, we need to pray for them these days. Oh, the pressure against the young people of our day. God help us for Jesus' sake. Amen. God help us to do something about this thing you call drifting. There's an anchor, thank God, the steadfast and sure. But if one thing we're going to have to do or we're going to be caught in the drift, we're going to have to face up the reality. And we're going to have to let God get our eyes wide open so we can see plainly and clearly there's some strong currents in this world that are everlastingly tugging at the soul to get you loose from your anchorage and to put you in the drift. And let me tell you, if you don't get your eyes open, recognize these dangers are real, it won't be long. You'll be drifting with the tide. You know, one of the strong currents we're facing today, and this is something that's not easy to define. If I had the ability of my co-laborers here, it would be much easier. But there's something so subtle about the spirit that characterizes our age. We know it's there. We feel it. We feel its presence. We can tell it's trying to uh, make its inroad, and many times it does. Different places, different people, but it's hard to define. I know one thing. The spirit of this age is one of rank unbelief. You analyze it. You know, someone had tried to tell me 30 years ago that we'd be in the deplorable mess we're in today in America, outlawing Bible reading, outlawing prayer in schools, and we'd be in the deplorable mess we're in in Washington and all, all over the country. I would not have believed it. I'd have said, sir, you just don't know this great country. But unbelief became entrenched. It's an age of atheism. Anti-God, anti-Christ, and let me tell you, it's an age of anti-decency, too. It always goes hand in hand. If it's anti-God, then it's anti-decency. They go right along in hand. And say, you know, the, the, the very, very uh, tragic thing, this unbelief is getting right into holiness churches. I don't mean by that you just find holiness churches that are right now denying the blood and are atheistic out and out. But let me tell you, different shades of unbelief is crowding in. That's right. Different shades, of, different levels of unbelief is crowding into the holiness churches. 
What you mean, preacher? Well, we just accept the truth that we like, you know, and we reject the other. You know, there's some truth that is not uh, unpleasant truth, you know. It just is all right. You already measure up to that, but that which you haven't measured up to, you pay no attention to and won't believe it when you hear it preached. We're getting to be cafeteria holiness people, you know. You know how a cafeteria is, you know. You got a long look. If you don't like that, you can pass it up and, you know, just keep on till you find something you like. And that's the way we are uh, about our preaching today and our beliefs, you know, cafeteria Christians. Don't look at me that way. Uh, I just I just need Brother Taylor up here every once in a while I kind of kick his shin and let him say, Come, come, children, come, come. <laughs> That'll help me out a little bit. <laughs> hey, man. If I had a covetous nature, I'd really just be jealous and covetous of this man's tremendous ability. But thank God, I'm glad I have the privilege of just getting on the beam, riding the beam for him. Hallelujah. Glory to God. <laughs> amen and amen. Folks, there are strong currents tugging at your soul. Did you know that? Have you ever stood, have you ever stood on a bank of a stream, like a creek or a river, and there was a boat tied up there with a rope or a chain, but the current was a little swift, you know, and one moment that rope or chain is tight, the next moment it's loose, the next moment it's tight. You know what? It seems like that current saying, I'm tugging away, I'm trying to get you loose from your anchorage. And it's that real when it comes to spiritual currents, night and day, just tugging at the soul to get you loose from your anchorage, to put you out there on the drift. God help us to recognize these are real. Not imaginary currents, but strong, real currents that have put many people in the drift already. The spirit of this age, follow me please, prayerfully at that. The spirit of this age is one of compromise. Now, I reckon some of you are feeling ill at ease right now. I just mention the word compromise. If you've already begun to feel a little bit ill at ease, I need to park at your doorstep and preach to you a while. Amen. Just like an old coon uh, dog, you know, gets a coon treat, you know, a possum treat, he just stays there and howls. If I feel like I've got you treat, I'm going to howl there a while. Compromise. It's sad, it's tragic, it's pitiful. Yes, an age in which one time clearly recognized holy principles and divine distinctions have become very vague and very fuzzy. You know what I'm talking about? One time they stood out very clearly, you know, but now they're fussy, very vague. Oh, I know what the cry is. You don't need to tell me. Well, I'll tell you, preacher. I used to see that way, but I've learned better. Haven't you heard that time and time again? I've learned better. You know the thing that disturbs me? If they learn better, why don't they live better? Wouldn't that be logical? If they learn better, they ought to live. But these people saying, I've learned better. They're living a lot worse than they used to live. They're a lot farther from God than they used to be. You can tell by the everyday living they have not very much of evidence of God in their lives. They've learned better. So I'm beginning to think, Brother Barbie, you're just an old square. Well, that's a compliment. Because I read in the Bible that holy city is four square. I'll fit in when I get up there. Some of you folks won't fit in. You're not square enough. Amen, Brother Jerry. Age of compromise. 
around in the corners. May be deceived like those that group of people, you know, deceived Joshua said, Look here, when we started our journey, our bread was fresh from the ovens, and our clothes were new, and our shoes were new, but now look, our shoes are worn, and our clothes are tattered in rags, and this bread is moldy. They were next door neighbors. Watch out, I'll tell you, the devil surely at art, a uh, uh, past master of this camouflage business to come uh, to get you to be a compromiser. This is the age of materialism. The spirit of this age is one of materialism. Oh, now, preacher, you mean to say that uh, you'd rather go back and, and have just one of the, uh, just a little old fireplace like ours uh, brought up around, you know, you, you, your legs would bake and your back would uh, uh, freeze. No, 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 I don't really want that. I'd rather have nice central heat like I have. And I'm not going to stand up here and be dishonest and tell you that I'd rather have an old galvanized rub board like I used to wash clothes in when I... How many of you people ever used one of the old galvanized rub board? How many is that old? Oh, you're right, usually on Fifth Avenue where you were. I, I, I see, I see, I see. How many in the congregation know what I'm talking about? Old galvanized rub board. Well, I'll tell you, I used to wash clothes when I was a kid like that, you know, brother. Mine, an old black wash pot there in the backyard and the number three galvanized tub, you know. I'm not going to stand up and tell you I'd rather have that way wash my clothes. I'd rather have a nice automatic washer and an automatic dryer like we have. But I'll tell you one thing, folks. I'm afraid if we're not careful, we're going to let this push-button age of materialism shove us into hell if we don't get above those things. I'll tell you, let me tell you, young preachers, I determined and I, this way across the years, I would not allow myself to get bound up to anything. Bless God, if the Lord said go, I'd go to this little two-room shack and live in it. I'd move into a trailer, move into a nice home, I'd move into another little shack. It mattered not. Bless God, just so I was in the will of the Lord. Hallelujah. That's the reason we can't evangelize the world in our own country like God wants us to. We have so many people that come out, you know, they think they ought to have the best. You ought to have hard scrabble like the rest of us had to start out. You're not willing to do it. You're not worthy of a big church. Never will be. Uh, They'd handle it, but they'd mishandle it, sister. Age of materialism. I passed about 22 years and evangelized about 22. Not one time have I ever gone before the board and asked them for a raise. I left that up to God. I've known preachers that have split a church wide open trying to get a raise. Yes, sir. Just simply persist, persist, persist until there's a real problem over it. Well, instead of doing that, why don't you go out and plow corn or do a, be a plumber or something else? Come on, don't look at me that way. You doubt this, go down to South Carolina and look up my DSs, the one that is now the my former DSs. Materialistic age. Constant pressure on us to sell out to materialism. Comforts of life. Say, here's a strong current. Hear me if you didn't get the others because this catalogs so many of us. Another strong current, nothing other than the legitimate cares of this present life. Not wicked things, not sinful things. I'm talking about the legitimate cares of life. 
You know, here's something that ought to really scare us. What Jesus said to his own followers in Luke chapter 21 and verse 34. Not talking to the world, talking to the church. Take heed unto yourselves. Lest at any time your hearts be overcharged with surfeiting and drunkenness and the cares of this life so that that day come upon you unawares. Let me give you what the Amplified New Testament, the way it is stated there. Take heed to yourselves and be on your guard. Talking to Christians. Be on your guard. Lest your hearts be overburdened and depressed. Aren't we living in an age where a lot of people are depressed? They go to the doctor because they're depressed. They go to the psychologist and psychiatrist because they're depressed. Well, I'll tell you, a lot of people are depressed because the way they've lived, they've brought it on themselves. Says, and depressed, weighed down with the giddiness and the headache and the nausea of self-indulgence, drunkenness, and worldly worry, and cares pertaining to the business of this life, that they come upon you unawares. I'll tell you the reason a lot of some people are depressed, a lot of people in the this movement, you're trying to keep up with your neighbors there, you've got to have a new car when they have one, you've got to have a house full of new furniture when they get a house full of new furniture, and you get so bogged down in debt until you just simply work yourself to death, don't have time to pray, and therefore your conscience has been, uh, been insulted by the powers of hell. Your conscience is bad and evil. Guilty. The peace is gone. No wonder you're depressed. I want to say this to you young uh, people that young ministers be out in the work. For God's sake, don't live beyond your income. You hear me? For God's sake, don't live beyond your income. Adjust to what you have and do it out until you get better. You know, friends, I believe every symptom, um, every disease, rather, has its symptoms. I don't know, and the doctors here would contradict this, and the doctors, but I, that, I've always believed that every disease has its symptoms by which you can tell if that disease is working on you. I am convinced this awful peril and danger of drifting has its symptoms. Marks that will tell you, if you let God show you, that you're in the drift. Let me name a few quickly. I believe one sure symptom and sign of drifting is dimness of spiritual vision. My, how one time you could see so clearly. Dimness of spiritual vision. Let me illustrate it this way. Very simple illustration. Let's get in our imagination. We'll get on a boat. We're going out to sea. We're standing there on the deck and we're going to keep our eyes on an object that stands out in bold relief there on the shore. Just keep your eyes on it. The farther you get out to sea, the smaller that object becomes. Fainter and fainter in your vision it becomes. Until finally, it just disappears from sight. But it's still there. It hasn't moved. Just as large and just as easy to be seen by those up close as it was for you. But the reason you can't see it, you've gone from it. That, that explains to me you don't have to be a Solomon because it had to be one I couldn't see. You don't have to be a Solomon to see that. People don't see like they one time could because they have gone from it. God hasn't changed, folks. And sin hasn't become converted and begun to behave itself. Sin is still sin. And wickedness is still wickedness. And God hasn't changed. But people have. Their visions become dim. You're in the drift. Make all the excuses you want to. 
That's one of the signs of drifting, dimness of spiritual vision. Another sure sign of, of drifting, a symptom of drifting, is dullness of hearing. Say, how long has it been since God spoke to you? Huh? Why, God still speaks to his children. <laughs> Whoa, glory to God. Don't you believe that? And I want to go on record. Bless God, I don't want my heavenly father to leave me alone. If he can't talk to me in endearing terms and tones, oh, rather than leave me alone, I'd rather him take me to the woodshed and give me a good going over than to just quit talking to me. How long has it been since he spoke to you and gave you a little errand to run, huh? How long has it been since you sent, he sent you on an errand uh, to do something for him and his glory? How long has it been since he spoke to you and said, you shouldn't have said that. That was just a little out of the way. You ought to go back and ask for forgiveness. Huh. I think some of us think, well, if I ever do uh, make a mistake, I'll apologize. I haven't made one yet. I know a man down in South Carolina professed to be saved and sanctified, one of my neighbors. His poor wife, just heartbroken over his good, said he's never, to my knowledge, has never asked anybody, ever apologized to anybody. I just don't believe this man just been that perfect as very old that, that he never did need to apologize to somebody. I believe as good a man as you have, you've had to do that once or twice in your life. You too. Even this good man. I'll tell you one thing, if you want to backslide and hurry, you just get to the place you feel like, I'm just, I'm just above that, and I don't ever need to apologize to anybody. Bless God, I'll tell you. You know how I do in traffic? If I get my car out there, and just a little bit out there, and where I'm a danger getting run over, I don't care if I do have the right of way. I put that thing in reverse and get out of the way in a hurry. I'll tell you, even though I, I am pretty, if I am on the right side of the question, let me tell you, before I'm going to get run over, get my soul lost, I'm just going to back up and apologize. When is the last time some of you folks had a good piece of humble pie? I can tell by looking at most of you. It hadn't been too long since you had the other kind. I'm talking about humble pie. You humble yourself and ask people to forgive you. There's a lot of people who never have the joy until you humble yourself and ask your pastor to forgive you. Come on. You know, folks, seriously, let listen to me. You know, I thought time and time again before I came here with this message, I'd rather preach something that would just be a little bit more on the bright side. But, oh, brother, I'll tell you. You know what? I felt in the beginning of this camp, some of the services, it looked like, you know, want to just get, we're not ready for real high tide yet. I feel about it like that wonderful missionary, Dr. Wingate, missionary to Africa. Years ago, I was an evangelist there, one of the evangelists at uh, uh, I believe it was 19 and 44, there in Fairmount, Indiana, the Western camp, one of the workers. My mother had a great time, and I'm not against that, but it was early in the camp. And I asked Dr. Wingate to pray before I preach. No, I, I, I'll always appreciate the spirit of that man, that great missionary. He got up, Brother Flexen, he said, Oh, God, we're too high, bring us down. We're too high, bring us down. I felt in my soul sitting here tonight, we do not have the burden this camp meeting ought to have. We haven't had the size and the groans that would please God. I appreciate the good that's been done. I appreciate the good atmosphere. But I'll tell you, we need to get down to business. We're playing church compared to what God wants us to do, folks. 
Yes, we are. Yes, dullness of hearing. Don't hear his voice like we one time did. Another sign of drifting is loss of spiritual appetite. I know nothing wrong with our physical appetite to look at that dining room. Oh, I'll tell you, including Barbie and the rest of you. What about the spiritual appetite? Well, Brother Barbie, I'm here. Yes, you're here. But say, you know, some people go to the table and don't eat much. The appetite's poor. Brother Rob French, you said, made him nervous when a person went to the table and started uh, uh, splitting peas in two and eating a half a pea at a time. I'll tell you, some people about that selective, you know, to come to church and you know, no appetite. Now, just, just, just listen to a few moments here. How long has it been since you were reading in your daily devotions, and God have mercy on you if you don't have one, and you read your customary amount of scripture you usually read, but it was so good you couldn't stop. Woo! Glory to God. Hey, man, you had a lot of things pressing in. You felt like you had to get busy and do a lot of things, but it was so good you had to read another chapter. And that was so good you had to read another chapter. My, my, I've got to get busy. got a lot of things to do, but it was so good, and you were so hungry, and you had such a good appetite. You read another chapter. You know, back when I was in sin, I'd go to the movie, and i want to get my money's worth. I'd see the thing through once, you know, and I'm afraid I'd miss something. I'd stay and see it through again. Why? Because I was hungry for that kind of stuff. I had an appetite for that kind of stuff. Wouldn't it be wonderful and refreshing if so many people, a lot of more people have such an appetite for God, the Word, and things of a heavenly nature that after they sat and listened to their godly pastor preach some Sunday morning, and as folks were leaving, he, that person would go up and say, Pastor, will you please do me a favor? I'll tell you, I'll, that, that message blessed my heart. Oh, I just got so much out of it. But pastor, listen, after you've had time to shake hands with the people, all of them are gone. If I just stay here, would you preach that sermon to me again before I leave? Of course, it may give the pastor a heart attack. Because they're not accustomed to that. I tell you what they're accustomed to doing, looking at the watch, you know. I don't mind you looking at the watch, but please don't start shaking it as if the thing has stopped on you, you know. That makes me nervous showing up. You know how we act when we really delight in a certain food? I know how I act, and I think you about the same way. I don't act a hog and get more than a decent portion out when it passed around first time, you know. I let everybody get a portion, you know. It's not right to act a hog and get too much the first time, so I just get a decent portion. But if it's something I really like, I've got a real appetite for it. After everybody's got some, if there's some left, a lot of times I'd be creaming my Oh, yeah, yeah, will you pass that again, please? Because I've got such a good appetite for it. Oh, may God give us an appetite for holy things. Hallelujah. Like a lady down yonder in San Pedro Sula, Central America. I was down there several times, one of my trips down there for revival meetings. I went out for one-night stands and outstations, you know, one-night stands, and then uh, to have a service with it. And then we announced that we'd be there in San Pedro Sula for 10 days, 10-day meeting. There was one sister, a mother of 17 children. Well, some, some mothers, you know, two or three children that can't think they can't get out to church. Mother of 17 children came night after night after night and had to walk six miles over rough country and many times wade through four rivers to get there. 
and sit there for through the whole service waist, uh, uh, soaking wet waist down. She got up on the closing night of the meeting. Said, oh, this meeting has meant so much to me. Oh, it's been such a blessing to me. I'm going to miss the privilege of walking the six miles to get here. Good appetite, good appetite, good appetite. And some of you people, if you would be honest with God, you know something's happened to your spiritual appetite. Sign of drifting. God to help us but Jesus, dear Satan. Another sign of drifting is holding your convictions more loosely than you used to. There was a time, now I'm not asking anybody to hold on to their convictions like they're full of the devil. I've seen some folks like, you fool me. No, sir, if you're going to act that way, you may as well ditch them. They're not doing you any good anywhere. You hear me? Are you still here? So bless God, I'll tell you, I'm a standing on the rock. Yeah, I know, but you don't have much honey about you. You know, I like that expression, honey in the rock. Some people's all rock, no honey, and some people's all honey, no rock. If y'all honey, no rock, that's mushy. I don't like that. Brother Flex, I like the combination of honey and the rock. Rock for firmness, but honey for sweetness. Woo! Glory to God forever. <laughs> Amen. Holding convictions more loosely than you used to. Oh, yes, you hear them. Well, now, I don't have one, but so many good people do have. Well, it won't be long till you will have one. That's right. You hear them talk that way. I don't mean I want you to get on the end of the judgment seat and be critical. Nothing justifies you becoming sour or becoming sour and critical. But are they holding conviction solution? a few years ago he wouldn't go to the theater and see that Hollywood slop but they let Hollywood come right to the home I was saved from a life of a drunkard well do you think it would be alright for me to have a bar in the home just so it wouldn't be in the saloon huh 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 why you you can't afford one can you well no I can't Oh, I could get up enough money to buy one, but I can't afford one. It's robbed too many people of God and spiritual appetite. No, I can't afford one. And bless God, I don't want one. Hallelujah. Woo! Glory to God. There are some people who don't have them. They want them. You know why I know? Because they go to the neighbors to look at certain things. Well, now, Brother Barbie, don't you go to the neighbors to watch them shoot, to uh, take off of the moon? Oh, no, I'm busy going beyond the moon. I got in trouble because I wouldn't go along with ordaining a minister with TV once. You know what I argued on the conference floor? They'd tell you I, I didn't get... Nasty and disposition of spirit, I just kept as sweet as heaven. I never did talk very much on the conference about issue, but I was on the committee and I had to make some decision to declare myself. I said, if drinking a bottle of pop, hear me now, 
would do as much harm to the cause of God as TV is doing, I wouldn't ordain that man if he wouldn't promise to quit drinking pop. Because his consecration was so low, he's going to have what he wanted if it just simply split everything wide open. I don't go to the neighbors of sin, brother. And if I go where they got one of the blind, I try to sit where I don't see the thing. Praise God. Well, you know, I've got my, I set no evil thing before my eyes. That's the word. Let me tell you, folks, a lot of homeless people are leaning their souls because they, they intended to control it. But 99.9% of people will finally just let down the bars and they'll be looking at a lot of things that leave them dry and lean in their souls. I'll tell you one thing. You wouldn't want to be sitting before that thing looking at someone beat the brains out of another or sex scenes and violence if Jesus split the sky. No, you wouldn't. Don't tell me you would. You'd be falsified. Yeah, you used to hold your convictions firmly, but now loosely. Another sign of drifting is a waning devotion reflected in the lack of liberal giving for the cause of God. Become tight-fisted. One time you were so liberal in supporting the cause of God. No, I wished I had another hour. Of course, you don't have anywhere to go but home, do you? I wish we had more people like some I've seen on the mission field. I was in a church in South Korea in a revival meeting, revival service. As I was preaching, I noticed to my right, second seat in the front, a great big, a big man for uh, Oriental. Most of them are not such big. Great big Korean, but there was a sober look on his face that captured my attention. I wondered, who is that man? I learned after the service, he had been a born-again Christian for uh, 50 years and a practicing physician for 40 years. And I learned this about him, that he was giving 50% of his income to the cause of Christ in Korea. They were building a nice parsonage back of the big church. They build big churches when they can because they go to church over there. And you know what they told me? said, this doctor is paying one half of the cost of building that nice parsonage. You know what I wanted to know right away? And I asked him, I said, what kind of house does he live in? You know, I was thinking about us Americans. You show me an American that's giving 50% of the cost of building a parsonage, and I can guarantee you 99 times out of 100, he's living in a palatial home before he does it. I said, what kind of home does he live in? said, an old house. said, it's badly in need of repair. But he says if he ever gets the parsonage finished, he's going to do a little work on his own home. Does that say anything to you? Oh, yes, I know. We're going to give to missions. We're going to give to Christian education. We're going to do great things after we get that boat paid for and after we get that cottage on the lake paid for and after we get that new furniture paid for and after we get that new suit of clothes paid for and after we get the house paid for. Yes, if, 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 and, and it never happens. We're just simply putting off doing things for God and missions while we're heaping everything on ourselves. It's not a missionary address, but it'd be good to kind of take this and chew a little while. Well, I know I'm going to have to come to a close here. I would mention one more sign of drifting. And that's being overcome by lethargy. Spiritual drowsiness. 
spiritual sleepiness. Let me tell you, a lot more people asleep than you can realize today. Right. Brother Taylor, they've gone to sleep. Right. He said, preacher, I'm not asleep. How do you know you're not? Let's have a debate. I'm going to argue you are asleep, and you're going to argue that you're not. What kind of argument would you use to convince this preacher that you're not asleep? Did you know you never know you've been asleep until you're awake? Come on, that's simple, isn't it? But it's true. You never know you've been asleep until you awake, and when you awake, you know you've been asleep. How many times have we preachers heard uh, people testify in camp meetings, revival meetings, get up with tears are flowing, saying, Pastor, for evangelists, I never realized I drifted so far. What made them realize it? God had awakened them. And when God gave them that awakening, they saw the spiritual territory they had lost. I'll tell you, we need an awakening. God have mercy. We need an awakening today. There are people right here tonight that are going to sleep spiritually. And let me tell you, while you sleep spiritually, souls are being lost, and some of those souls are your own precious blood kin. They are waiting their way toward hell while you sleep. I'll give you this, and the message is with you. Right in this state, oh, a few miles from here, been many years ago, it happened out of the observation or in a church a friend of mine was pastoring at the time in that membership. A girl became possessed with the idea of suicide. She felt driven, actually driven to take her own life. The doctor said, now, I feel that this is temporary. It won't last. But... One, one or two things you'll have to do. You'll have to put this girl in an institution so they'll take care that she won't take her life. Or you'll have to keep an eye on her day and night. Never leave her alone because it's real to her. She feels like she must in take her life. So they didn't want to put her in an institution. So they had a large family out in the rural sector. And so the daughter for one night and the son one night, father one night, mother one night, until they made the rounds of every member of the family keeping vigil, and then they start over. And weeks passed, each one keeping vigil when their night came around, and one by day. Until one night the mother was sitting by her bedside. Everybody was fast asleep in the house. And the mother was so tired. I reckon maybe she'd work so that her bones were just aching from fatigue. And she thought, my, looks like daughter's going to rest sounder tonight. Look like everything's going to be all right. And I'm so tired. It wouldn't hurt anything if I just stretch out on the bed beside her. I could rest much better. I won't go to sleep, but I could rest much better. So she got on in the bed beside her sick, sleeping daughter. Then, of course, she became very drowsy when she stretched out and relaxed on the bed. She thought, oh, I believe daughter's going to sleep sound tonight. I think I'll just sleep just a little bit. I'll put my arm over on her. If she should stir and get out of bed, that will awaken me and everything will be all right. So she put her arm over on her sleeping daughter and right away she went fast asleep. And when she awoke, she gave out a scream that woke up everybody in the house. They came in, mother, mother, what's wrong? What's wrong? She said, oh, I didn't intend to sleep long. I was so tired. I didn't intend to sleep long, but she's gone. She's gone. They looked from room to room. It's still night. And they just to search the house as quickly as they could. They didn't know which direction to go. They got on the phone, had a phone, and called the authorities. The authorities got a hold of bloodhounds. 
that they used to track down fugitives, you know, the escape from the law, and brought the bloodhounds there, took the bloodhounds there into the bedroom, and the bloodhounds got the sin of the trail and led that mother of the authorities, and weeping mother was wringing her hands in despair, led them out of the house in the backyard, and there was a pathway that led through the woods, back of the house, go into the woods, and led them right on down that pathway through the woods until they reached the bank of a flowing river. No sign of the daughter. But after dragging the bottom of that river for hours, they found her dead body. While mother slept, she waited out to her death. Can you imagine the scene at the funeral? The pastor described it. Oh, if I had only stayed awake. Oh, if I had not gone to see, just wringing her hands in awful despair, saying, oh, I wish I had stayed awake. Oh, if I had not gone to sleep. But it's too late. But that scene is not anything to compare to the judgment day scene where people are going to wring their hands and scream and cry. Oh, I wish I had stayed awake. I wish I hadn't gone to sleep. My precious loved one's in hell forever. I wish I had stayed awake. I wish I had scared myself. There are people here tonight, if you don't get God somehow stir you and awaken you, you're going to drift with the tide and lose your soul. I've been preaching to a good number here tonight that have been aware of the fact that some of these symptoms of drifting are very evident in your own life. I ask you tonight, what are you going to do about it? Thank you for listening to Convention Pulpit, a ministry of inner church holiness convention featuring Wesleyan voices past and present. For more sermons or for more information, visit www.ihconvention.com. This ministry is made possible through the financial support of our listeners. Keep passing it on, keep passing it on, keep passing it on.